If you're new around here, um, my name is Adrian. I'll be taking us through this next bit. And we're in a series we've entitled Songs for the Journey. And we've entitled it because actually we're looking at some of the Psalms uh, in the middle of the Bible. And, and the Psalms is kind of this word that's used uh, to describe songs. Uh, that's what it is. It's songs that are there that reveal something about who God is, something about who we are, and are often written by people who are seeking to grapple within the reality and circumstances they're living in to say, God, this is who you are. God, I know this is how you define me, but at the moment, this is what my life looks like, and this is how it feels. And so the songs, the Psalms, often give voice to the raw emotions in the reality of life situations. And so week in, week out, I've been looking at these songs to say, how do they relate to us and how can we get something from them and so we've looked at a song of intimacy a, a song just of, of praise of just majesty of who God is and today I want to look at a song of pain uh, in Psalm 13 and in it that can feel like oh man this is going to be a heavy one um, yes it probably won't be full of loads of jokes uh, because that would be slightly insensitive when you're looking at a subject and you're looking at a song of pain However, I believe it's really important we look at this because the reality is this, that each and every one of us faces moments of pain. And if you haven't done, I don't want to really be the bearer of bad tidings, but you probably will. You see, Jesus promised that when we center our lives around him, that he'll never leave us. What he didn't promise is your life will therefore be perfect from that point on. He actually said that sometimes life's going to really suck. He didn't use that word, he used a different phrase. But he said, but when it does, I'm still going to be there with you. And therefore, it's so important that we, one, live in reality that sometimes stuff happens. But two, in the reality of stuff happening, that actually God promises to be with us. And that in God promising to be with us, it therefore means that sometimes we have to find him. Because sometimes in the reality of the stuff that's happening, it can feel hard to see where you are, God. But through this psalm, I believe what we're going to find and discover is a way that David, who wrote it, reveals a pattern of how each and every one of us can find God within the reality of the life situations we face. But not only can we find God, but also know God. But not in a way that kind of shuts down the reality of the situation we're facing or the pain that we're feeling, but actually allows us to give voice to it. Because the, the, the deal is this, that sometimes we can hit circumstances, and for each and every one of us, it'll be different things. And I don't want to label every single one, but there'll be this moment where we hit a circumstance. It might be towards us, it might be towards someone we love. And in that moment, we realize that we know pain. And then we have a choice of what we do with that. And there's, there's a way that we could handle that in a wrong way. So either we can ignore it and think, well, who cares? Or pretend it's not there and just kind of swallow it in and say, well, I'm okay. It's all right. Nothing affects me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And there's kind of that moment. Or maybe it's not ignoring or pretending. Maybe it's that sense of escape. of saying, I know there's this. And I know I'm facing that. Therefore, maybe if I went on holiday, maybe if I drank that, maybe if I had some time with them, maybe if I ate that, it would make me feel a bit better. Or maybe it's not escape. Maybe it's that actually we start to see and feel the pain and we think, well, this is who I am. This is what defines me from now on. 
And what I want us to see is through this psalm is there is a different way. There's a different way where we get to both express the reality of what's going on, but also know God in the reality of what's going on. And so I want us to look, therefore, at Psalm 13. And as with each week, what we've done is taken these psalms and then handed it over to the immensely talented singer, 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 singer. Oh, man, it's gone. It's gone. Song of singers. Song of singers. Shut up, Mike. Singer, singer, songwriters. The musicians and songwriters. Our psalmists. I said, could you take hold of this psalm? And put it to music in order that it could come alive a little bit more to us. And so Mike and the band have done that with Psalm 13, so I'll hand over to them.
what I want us to do this morning is kind of unpack this, because I, I believe it is going to do us good. I just want to make a quick comment, um, just from where we've been in worship to now. Maybe you're new around us and you're kind of looking in, and I'd say, well, keep asking questions about why we do what we do. But for those of us who are regulars, I want us to not see where we've been um, kind of disconnected to where we are now. Because I, I, I believe that what God's done in terms of our worship today is there's just been this sense of just him coming in gentleness and by his presence, as God says, he's going to come and be with us. Not just that he's a distant God that we can get to know and kind of trust in our mind and say, oh, yeah, I think you're there, but rather that he'll come by his Holy Spirit and dwell amongst us. And I believe that God's wanted to come and do that today, to come and cause us, if you like, to be marinating in his presence. I don't know if you cook food, but there's this moment where I tend to be quite a flashbang type of guy. I I kind of think, man, I want this in the oven quickly and out. But actually, there's a flavor that you get when you get some meat or vegetables and just allow them to just settle in a sauce that you're cooking it in. And just give it time for that sauce to permeate the, the, the substance that you're cooking. And then when you do that, it, it tastes more richly. It's softened. And I, I just believe that what God's doing amongst us today is, is doing that. is gently meeting with each and every one of us. In order that what he's done is kind of softened us. Caused us to know something more of how he's wanting to work in and through us. In order that we can get to this point, say, well, let's look then at this song of pain. And in looking at it, what I'm hoping is that it's not just going to help us in this moment today. My desire is, to be honest, that this isn't about this moment, but it's about the moments that are going to come in the days, weeks, months, and years. And my hope is that what we grapple with now actually will do us good. Maybe we're on a path to discover who God is. I I wonder whether today is a moment where suddenly you realize that God isn't a God of the good moments. God is also the God who wants to come and meet you in when life isn't as you thought it would be. And has a way of giving an answer there. And so I just want to pray for us, actually. And then we'll move on. We don't do that. We do pray, obviously. But I don't tend to pray at these moments in preachers. But I I just believe this is a moment to do that. So I just wonder if you... We just close your eyes, I'm going to pray for us. We close our eyes just a way of not getting distracted by others. God, I just, we just come to you and we say we're open books before you. God, you know everything about us. We saw that last week, that you're the God who searched us and knows us. That there's nowhere we can hide from you. And God, we just come and we open ourselves to you. Whether we feel we're uh, at the top of mountain peaks or down in the deepest, darkest valleys, we just say where we are, would you come? And would you meet with us? We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. I think in this song, there's a danger that we could think, well, uh, how it maps out is this. And it's a song of pain. And it basically starts with, how long, O Lord? And then we go, I will sing the Lord's praise. And if you like, there's a danger that we could think, all right, the song is, how long, O Lord? I'll sing your praise. And to be honest, I think followers of Jesus can be the worst culprits of this, of this is the reality of my situation. How long, O Lord? But I'm going to quickly jump over here. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. The thing is, there's a whole other number of verses between how long, O Lord, and I'll praise your name. And the song of pain is one where we have to realize that we've got to sing the bridge between reality to praising God. And from a place of reality to God, I know you're worth worship. 
And I want us to take us through that song. I want to take us through that bridge. Because I think, and this psalm, and I believe, like breaks into so easily three parts. Uh, the three stanzas of the psalm, like a poem. David, who wrote it, it feels like just takes us through this journey. And what you see is it, it starts with a cry. It then goes into a plea. And then there's this moment of rest. And the rest, as we're going to go on to see, is going to lead to worship. But the danger is we just think, oh yeah, it's cry, plea, worship. No, no, we've got to realize that David was resting from and in something that then led him to worship. The other thing I realized, and I'd love to say that I sought to um, communicate this this well, but it just literally happened like this. That I saw I'd broken it down to cry, plea, and rest. If we go back one slide. And what you see is it's CPR. And I realize what I'm giving you, and you will therefore remember this forever, is a CPR for the heart of who you are. The very depths, the core of your being, the very soul of who you are. That if you get hold of this, it will do the very core of who you are good. In order that you could keep living. And for some of you, you're going to think, man, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) My wife including. (laughs) But the reality is this, you'll never forget it. And that's my desire. I don't mind cheese if it means we remember. And if we can remember this and do this, it will transform how we live and how we face life situations, but also how we stand with others as they face life situations. Let's start off then with the cry. Verse 1 to 2, David writes this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? You see, it starts with a cry of reality, a cry of reality that for David, there's this enemy that he's facing, an enemy that he's facing that causes him to cry out. We're not clear as to what that enemy is. It could be the fact that his ongoing, kind of antagonism between him and Saul. It could have been the usurping moment of his son Absalom kind of wanting his dad out of the way, David. It could have actually just been that he was dealing with a moment of illness or facing death. But the reality was this, he was facing an enemy. And there are moments when we hit life circumstances where we just know we're facing an enemy. It might literally be someone who's seeking to oppose us. But it might be in respect to our past. It might be what we've done or what we've, uh, what's been done to us. It might be in respect to our future, of our concern of what's going to happen next. It might be in terms of our employment status, whether we're looking for employment or the, the job we've got, the pressure that we're feeling. It might be in respect to that moment of a diagnosis for us or someone we love, and we're suddenly thinking, what on earth is this going to mean? It may be that actually we're facing death or we've just lost someone. And it's in those moments we've realized that this is enemy, for want of a better expression, this, this sense of a circumstance where you think, this is against me. And what David says is this, this causes him to cry, to cry out to God, not to cry out to everyone. It says that in this moment, he's crying out to who? To Lord, the Lord, to God. What David's saying is there's this moment that as we hit these circumstances, as we realize there's this reason why we are like we are, There's a cry that we're to give, and it's a cry we're to give out to God. And in it, what I find is so helpful in the reality of how he cries out. So first of all, he just starts out with, how long, Lord? I tell you what, when you're facing circumstances that are beyond your control, and you're waiting for it to be solved, 
Time can often feel like it at best slows down, at worst stops. And there are moments where you just think, how long? And you wake up again the next morning and you think, how long? But it's not only in terms of the time that you're dealing with. It's also that sense of where are you, God? I love the reality of which David's speaking of here. So he talks about God, this God who he may have written about, as we looked at last week in Psalm 139, whether he wrote it or not, he definitely heard it. That God who knows everything, has seen everything, suddenly in this moment he's saying, but God, it feels like you're hidden from me. Where are you? It's as though you've forgotten me. It's not only, God, that it feels like you're nowhere to be seen in this moment. It's also like, I don't even know if you remember me. It's in that moment, there's this sense of doubt in him. A doubt of, of God, your capability. God, your understanding of me here. Can we just pause for a moment? Do you know what? God is okay with our doubt. There are moments where life situations hit us and it causes us to doubt, are you good God? Are you here God? And God's okay with that. God is big enough for our doubt. I think what God is concerned for in our doubt, that we give voice to it. So I know at the moment I'm really looking into the story of Abraham and there's this moment where uh, Abraham's wife Sarah uh, is in the kitchen baking and God visits Abraham and says, in a year's time, you're going to have a baby. And in that moment, as they hear, Sarah hears this promise of in a year's time, she just laughs. And she laughs not with a, yes, this is amazing. She laughs with a laugh of, this is never going to happen. And what you find there is that God calls her out. Calls her out and says, look, I know you laughed. And she says, oh, no, no, I didn't laugh. And he doesn't leave it there. He pushes it and says, look, you need to understand Nothing's impossible for God. Why is he doing that? Why is God doing that, Sarah? Because he doesn't want doubt to, to seep in, for her to hide it away, say, oh, no, no, I'm never doubting. And God wants to call it out of us, say, do you know what? I do feel doubt at the moment. Because God can then come meet us in the doubt and reveal something more about who he is within our doubts. But also there's that cry of reality. That cry of reality that says for David... Man, my heart is full of sorrow. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. I can think of, not often, but some key moments in my life. I'm not going to unwrap all of them today, but I can think of some key moments where suddenly I just felt like I, the joy is gone. It just feels like sorrow is buried deep in my heart. And tears often flow at that point. And that in it, you then get this moment of him saying, you know, I'm wrestling with my thoughts. God, it doesn't, I don't know where you are in this. It just feels like it's me alone with my thoughts. Have you found that? Two o'clock in the morning? And you wake up and you just can't go back to sleep and you're wrestling. What is it in the night? That's the worst, aren't they? Those thoughts that come and you think, I can't get over this. I can't get over the way that I'm thinking. And it seems to spiral me down. We're in good company. King David had those sort of moments. I tell you what, many people in this room have had those sort of moments. And the deal is this. Before we jump to a, God, come and meet me in this, the deal is that we have to be in the place of reality of saying, God, this is the situation I'm facing. 
And I cry out to you in the reality of it. The simplest way I've found to do this, and I'm a relatively simple individual, is, is that whenever I'm facing something, I, I always know, and I start generally with this sense of, God, I feel like. And I tend to attach a word to it. I feel low at the moment. Now that's, that's a general word. What does that mean, Adrian? So I actually ask myself. And then I say, why? And then I think, why I feel low is I... I just don't feel like I've got enough energy at the moment. Why don't you feel like you've got enough energy? Oh, because I feel like I'm fighting a lot at the moment. Why are you fighting? Oh, because I realize that I don't feel like everyone's understanding me at the moment. Why do you feel like everyone's not understanding you at the moment? Oh, because that person, when they said this, made me feel totally misunderstood and wobbled me, made me realize, can I do this? Why did that affect you? Oh, because I suddenly realize, who am I? And I think, what on earth am I doing? All I started off with is, I feel a bit low. A cry and expression has to get to the very core of what's going on. And so often we can settle with the surface, the kind of, the, the top layer of that rough bit of onion, you know, the, the kind of bit that you peel off, that the, the, I don't know why it's there, that paper bit protects the onion and you peel that off and you say, oh yeah that's it that's me done and God says no no peel it back oh but when I peel it back tears start to come that's because you're starting to get to the very core of what's going on until you peel it right back and you realize oh that is it God I'm coming I'm crying to you from this place if I feel abandoned I feel alone I remember being in a hospital with my son Sam aged three and a half four and the doctors just weren't clear as to what was going on with him. We knew that he hadn't been well for six weeks. And you're suddenly in a ward. Every other child has their hair shaved completely off. But it hasn't been shaved. It's dropped out. And you suddenly realize in that moment, you're in a ward that you never dreamt you'd be in. And at that point, you hit the cry. And at that point, you're thinking, I don't know what's going on. But in it, you then realize, God, I know I can't do anything to save him. And I don't know what to do. And so the cry comes, and we have to give voice to the cry. But from the cry, you then get to the plea. And so in the plea, uh, David writes in verse 3, if we can skip through to the next one. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. So you get from the reality of what David's feeling, that cry of reality, there becomes then this plea of desperation. A plea that says, God, would you come and answer me? God, would you come and comfort me? That's what he means when he says, would you give light to my eyes? That's comfort. God, would you answer me? God, would you comfort me? But it's still tinged with the reality of desperation. So you still get that. Otherwise, my enemy are going to say, they've overcome me. My foes are going to rejoice because I'm going to fall. Now in this, is this David twisting God's arm? Is he saying, God, if you don't come through, you've got to understand you're going to look very stupid. Now this isn't that. This is still the reality of what David is facing. It's still filled with this cry of desperation. 
So that when he comes and he says, God, I need you, and I've used the word plea rather than pray, is that if we're not careful, if you put pray here, you'd have all thought, all right, so at this point we pray. No, you've already been praying. When you cry out to God, that's a prayer. This is just a different part of it. It's this plea of desperation of it isn't disconnected with the reality of what I'm feeling. It's actually saturated with the reality of what I'm feeling. It's not that I come to you, God, and say, I am so desperate. If you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember um, a different point in my life. Some of you are going to be very worried about me, thinking, man, do you ever have any light moments? I do. But this isn't one of those talks. This talk is the reality talk. I remember this, there's a song we sung, and we still sing. And we used to sing it a lot, often in the Oasis. We have a song of the moment, and then we'll move on. One of our songs at the moment was, um, uh, Nothing Can Separate Me From The Love Of God. So nothing can separate, even if I run away. I'm just giving us a kind of nervous bit of laughter. Um, but there's the bridge bit that goes, um, you work all things together for my good. And I remember going on one of my walks, and there was, I can't even remember, to be honest, what was going on in my life. I know there was a number of different things. And as I listened to that, and it was like, you work all things together for my good. I remember listening to thinking, do you? Do you, God? Because it doesn't feel like it at the moment. It doesn't feel like stuff is working for my good. And so I remember going in the cry and then the plea. God, it doesn't feel like this is for my good. And so God, I ask you, would you show me how this is going to work out for my good? And it was that pushing in. God, I need you to show me how this is going to work for my good. And in that moment, what happens isn't necessarily the answer to everything, but is actually the moment of God starting to break in as we see more of who he is. Which brings me on to the last point, which is rest. Because I think what's fascinating about this psalm is a psalm of reality of what David's facing. So he cries out, he pleads. But then there's not an answer, is there? It doesn't say, and then God, you met me and this happened. It's rather that he then says, verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. He doesn't tell us whether the answer ever came. He actually says, no, at this moment, God, I choose to rest in you. He chooses to rest from the circumstances he's facing. He chooses to rest from the, the moment that he's crying out, the moment that he's pleading on. He chooses to rest from that and chooses in turn to rest in the object of his faith. It isn't that God, I trust in my faith in you. It's all down to me. He says, no, I trust in you. In other words, in this moment, I'm choosing to rest in the one who is the object of my faith, the one who's the object of my trust. Because actually, regardless of circumstances, I know, God, that I've got to turn and rest in who you are. And I tell you what, the cry and the plea, though painful, are relatively easy to do. 
the rest is probably the hardest thing to learn. The resting in who God is within the circumstances we're facing is the art of what it looks like to live the life of following Jesus regardless of what is going on. It's the art of what it looks like to be maturing in Jesus, to realize that he's going to see through to completion everything he started in us. Because I tell you what, when you get this, and when you're able to rest in the God, as we're going to go on to see, of how David saw God and how we're to see him, you get to know God in the moments that feel dark, that shines out to people who look in and say, but how come you know the rest here? So in it, David kind of puts it, and I'd say he says he rests in three attributes of who God is. He rests in God's unfailing love, his salvation, and lastly, God's goodness. And to help us, as I said, I'm not really bothered about whether we kind of leave thinking that was nice or good. I rather want us to leave thinking I've got something to help change me. Is Gus and Lucy are just going to pass round a load of sheets. Now, in it, the first thing you're going to notice within about 10 seconds is there's a typo. There is a typo. It's there just to show my own humanity and frailty. Um, for those of you who then going to think, but I don't know if I'm going to spot it. You will. Don't worry. Um, in it, what I've done is I wanted to give us something that allows us to rest in some reality truths of who God is and his unfailing love, his salvation and goodness. Now, in it, we haven't got time to look at all of these in detail, but I'm hoping as they get around, we can go there. So in terms of resting in his unfailing love, I want us to live understanding this. Now, in these verses, why I'm giving us verses is because I don't want you to rest in my understanding of who God is. That's not going to help you. I can promise you that. Resting in a moment of deep um, challenge and thinking, what would Adrian say, is not going to help you. Basically, you're going to think, actually, he was a bit garbled in his words, and it, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Resting in what God says will help you. And so firstly, in terms of God's unfailing love, John 15, 9, this is what Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Here's what happens, I'm going to model this a little bit, just on this one, is that when I'm saying we're going to rest in this, this doesn't mean that we read that and we think, all right, yeah, yeah, Jesus loved me, I'm loved, it's the Father has loved him, love, 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 love. No, no, what we've got to do with this is we've now got to grapple with it. We've got to meditate on it. Meditate isn't that we're going to suddenly sit on the floor and go, home, oh, empty my mind, empty my... No, no, meditation is where you contemplate something deeply and allow it to take root, you ponder on every moment of it. And so on this, we, we take hold of this verse and we say, actually, what is it that Jesus is trying to convey to us in respect to God's unfailing love towards us? As the Father has loved me, Jesus, how has the Father loved you? Well, the Father's loved you forever, for the whole of creation. At that point, you can think back, if you've been a regular oasis, you think, I remember Adrian talking about that of how the Trinity's always lived in this loving relationship of the Spirit loving the Father, loving the Son, loving the, the Son loving the Spirit, loving the Father, the Father loving the Son, loving the Spirit, and this kind of this love community that's always been going with hand in hand, love being flowed through all of them equally. And says, so have I loved you. Whoa! The eternal love that's always been enjoyed between the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit is what we're now invited into. 
Not to kind of partake by looking and thinking, wow, how they love each other is amazing. No, we get to go in the ring. Do you remember that? Where suddenly the Father, Son, Spirit hooked up, hand in hand, figuratively speaking, we then get to be in the ring. Hand in hand, knowing the love of the Father and Spirit with us. What does Jesus say? So now remain in that love. We get in this moment to rest in the reality of how we're loved. Which means that we meditate on it. It means that we grapple with it. It means that we play around with it and say, God, even in this moment, you're saying you love me like this? It means Romans 8, 38, that we realize that nothing's going to separate us from his love. Psalm 139, 1 to 18, all that we looked at last week, this God who sees us, this God who knows us, this God who made us, is this God who unfailingly loves us. So that's just unfailing love. We then move through and David says, oh, be you to rest in what? I rest in my salvation. Now, the danger here is we say, oh yeah, salvation, I'm saved. If I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I get to know God. Yes. What does that mean though? Oh, what we do now is we think, hey, do you know what? I'm around an excellent church. I'm around an excellent church that we do one another good by spurring one another on in the reality of how we've been defined because of God saving us. So then we think, hey, we did that series. Crafted in the whole of Ephesians where we discovered the wonder and beauty just through one book that we could use the whole of the Bible here, but let's just use one book that reveals the wonder and beauty of our salvation. So we get to rest in the fact that we're chosen, blameless and shameless, that we're loved, predestined and adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given purpose, power. We're alive by grace. In other words, nothing we've done, everything that God does. We are his actual handiwork, that he looks on us and thinks, you are amazing, that we're accepted, that we belong, that we're now a dwelling for him, that we're now given freedom and confidence. And so we don't just think, oh yeah, that's all right. No, no, we keep looking at it until we get to the point of thinking, no, that's who I am. Not this circumstance that I'm facing. This is how God sees me. This is how I'm defined. And then we get to what David says is goodness. Now when he talks about, um, for you have been good or you will be good, it's both that sense of both past and future. David's kind of looking at it saying, God, I've known your goodness in the past and I also know you're going to be good in the future. It's this like reckoning of that. In actual fact, some translations of the Bible don't even use the word good. They just use the word bountiful to express this sense of actually what God will be is he will outgive whatever you need. That's how God is. Now, in it, I just want to use goodness, that there is Romans 8, 28, that it's resting in the fact that God, you're going to work everything through to my good. Why? Because you promise you're going to do it. Just as you promised that you're going to cause me to know and see you. That Matthew 7, 11, that you're a father who loves to give me good things. James 1, 17, God, you the plumb line of all fathers. In you there is no imperfections and you seek good things. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, you're a father of compassion and a God of all comfort. Man, for me, I always drive back to that one. Who am I coming before? A father who is what? Full of compassion and full of comfort. Like how full? Full. Complete. Like he is the completeness of compassion and the completeness of comfort. There is, there is nothing lacking in him. 
and that's who I'm invited to rest in. And so that we again get to this point that we think, well, I'm now, I've cried out, I'm pleading, I'm now kind of causing myself to remember who the one I'm resting in, the one my confidence in. What's happening as I'm doing that? Suddenly, the, the, the reality of the situation I'm facing is there. It hasn't gone away, but my perspective is shifting. My perspective is shifting because suddenly the one who I get to rest in regardless of situation is filling more and more and more and more of my gaze in order that I can know that I can rest in him. Now, the thing is, I can do this on a Sunday morning. Everything, oh, yeah, that sounds easy. It isn't easy, is it? Let's be in reality when you're hitting it and stuff happens and you just feel a bit poo because that does happen. And you just think, really, pick up the sheet? I don't want to do that. But why you do it is you think, no, this is going to do me good. And when you can't pick up the sheet to start to do you good, is you call on someone else and say, would you help me do this? Because in the moment, I feel like I can cry out, but I need to get to the point of plea. And I know I need to rest, but I can't find the rest. Could you help me find it? And that's why we're in community. And I promise you that as we do that, it then gets us to the last part, is we get this cycle. This song of pain becomes a cycle where we start off with the cry that then leads to the plea, which then causes us to rest in this amazing God, resting from what we're pleading about, what we're crying about, resting in this amazing God of unfailing love, of our salvation, of the one who is good. And out of that, the only way it can be is, God, you're amazing. It drives us to worship, a worship place from reality. But the thing is, it doesn't end there. And this is why I love worship. It's suddenly that moment of how amazing you are, God, suddenly unravels me a bit more. And so I find, God, I'm just crying out to you again because I realise how vulnerable I can be before you. I love corporate worship. Why? Because one, I love worshipping God because there's this way to come together and say, God, we just expose our hearts before you. But two, because it allows me this reality of this cycle. Why do I sit on the front? One, leg room. Two, because no one else can see me. It is in that order. The leg room in this room is horrible. I don't understand why anyone sits, not on the front row. But <laughs> leg room, and the second one is because no one can see me. Because when no one can see me, I'm not worried. Because what's happening, and you won't see this because you're not in front of me, is that in the moment where I'm worshipping God, where I've got to that point of, God, this is the reality I'm coming with. God, I come and rest in you. God, I worship you is that in that moment, as I see something more of who God is, it undoes me something more. And I think, God, I'm sorry. God, there's this going on. And I find myself crying or shouting or laughing. The poor guys who are leading worship are just having to listen to my onslaught, but no one else can hear it. Andrew says, yep, that does happen. There's the integrity. Here's a little little note to, to everyone here. The number of people in Oasis I speak to say this. The conversation goes like this. I feel vulnerable. I'm hitting this situation. The thing is, if I come into worship, I know I'm going to cry. Therefore, I'm not going to be around. Do you know what I say then? I say this. Surely this is exactly the right place to be. Surely worship is the moment that we can then together know that there's going to be this expression of reality that as we come, the cry is going to come as well as the praise. So there will be moments where we'll look around and think, man, they're crying. Why? Because God's meeting with them and they feel like they can open up and say, this is the reality of what's going on. If we can't cry here, I don't know where we can cry. And if we can't cry here, I don't know what we're building. 
Can I be as strong as saying that? Because at that point, we're not building something of integrity and reality. We're building something that we've tried to tear down for years. I've given 18 years nearly for tearing down this one. If I don't want to be part of a community where you have to put masks on a Sunday and say, do you know what, everything's okay. It isn't that we all come in trying to make up stuff, so thinking, whoa, life's so bad. Let's do emo worship again. Oh. It's not that. It's okay to come in and say, life's amazing, life's amazing. That's okay. As well as we know that it's okay to say, life feels like it's fallen apart. And yet, God, you come and you build me back together. And can we give ourselves to that? Can we give ourselves to this song that says we're going to come with reality of the life situations we face with a cry, with a plea, and with a rest? And as we do, it will lead us to worship and through that cycle. So it leaves us with this question in terms of a song of pain. How well are you doing in singing this song? That's, that's it. The other two questions are kind of outworkings of it. But how well are you doing in singing this song? My encouragement is let's get good at singing this one. Because if we will, it will transform how we live how we pursue Jesus, how we reveal Jesus. It will do us good and it will do everyone around us good. Which then, just to knock it down two levels then, do you need CPR at the moment? Do you just know, actually, do you know what the reality is this? My application of today is I need to get out there or I need to get someone with me and I need to cry, I need to plea, and I need to get to rest. Or maybe it's you know someone and you think, do you know what, the best thing I could do is draw alongside them and say, can I offer you CPR? Can I pray for us? And then we're going to end. God, I thank you that your desire is to be with us and to meet with us in the reality of whatever life throws at us. God, I thank you that you're not just the God when the sun rises. God, you're the God when it feels like darkness starts to come. God, I thank you that you're a God who's promised to be with us no matter. And God, I pray, would we as individuals and as a community discover what it looks like more and more to find you regardless of circumstance? I pray, God, would we build continuously something of reality that is continuously willing to throw everything open to you, God? I ask this for your glory. Amen.